Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Hey, Liana. Hey, Dom. So I heard you got a bit of a question the other day in the Foundations Workshop for LSI. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, I did. It was from a a practitioner, a new, a new practitioner who had been herself through quite a few LSIs and she was noticing some of the skills of a, I guess, a, a well-equipped accredited practitioner. Mm-hmm. And she said, what would really help me is if I could have some questions that would help prompt thinking in my clients so that when they're first looking at their data and they're not really clear what it means, I can be equipped with some questions that will help prompt a deeper understanding for them rather than just tell them what it actually means from an academic point of view. So is this like someone's got feedback and they're looking at it and they're like, oh, it says I'm high on dependence or something, but I don't see it. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. I don't see it. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. So what does it look like kind of stuff? Is it particularly with LSI 1, so their own thinking, or LSI 2, the feedback from others, so how people see them behave? That's a really good question. I think that in the early phase, what I was thinking of is starting with the LSI 1 in terms of how it shows up in my thinking, Uh which will then ultimately prompt you in thinking, okay, how might that show up to others? Yeah, sure. So this is a pretty interesting topic. So I'm actually interested in this one personally because, you know, I'm I'm doing debriefs and stuff these days, so it's a really useful one. And so I guess for me, if we start maybe at a kind of cluster level. Yep. So if we talk around the, the passive styles, so if someone's high in those passive styles and they're not really connecting with it, they're not sure what it means, what are the kinds of questions, what are the kinds of thought starters that you'd give to them to prompt some of that thinking? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would think about getting yourself in the space of understanding what might it feel like if I've got a lot of passive defensive in my LSI 1. And typically, it's characterized by self-doubt, a willingness to perhaps give away to others and neglect your own needs. Uh If you think about that value of self-work that Lorraine McCarthy does when she characterises the passive-defensive cluster as a visual way of turning your back on yourself. Uh And so if we think about it in that respect, and by the way, the questions that I'm proposing are thoughts, starters and ideas. Some of them might not land, but these are things that you can pull out. The questions that you want to ask are to get an individual to start thinking about you know, what does that mean for them? How does it show up for them? Ah. Generally speaking. Yeah, right. So if we maybe we dive into a specific, if that's all right, like yeah, I'm thinking, so the approval style, and this one's actually pretty common, I think, a lot of people. It's, it's, one, of those, it's one of those styles where it's like, we all want to be liked, you know, and that, that's pretty normal. But it's that kind of, when it starts getting out there, it's more needing to be liked. And, you know, as you say, it's kind of keeping people happy and stuff, putting yeah. their needs above mine. So it's starting to trade off maybe my my opinion on something or yes. whatever yep. in order to kind of get people's approval or not upset them. Yeah. And it, look, it can be confronting for people when they see that approval spike. It is very common. And it sits, if you think about where it sits in the circumflex, it's right near the affiliative style. So there's a bleed there, uh-huh. which we kind of, sometimes we can dip more into the approval uh-huh. in different times. So kinds of questions I might be asking someone in the approval style, if they're looking at it and they're a bit confused and maybe a bit confronted, first of all, be aware that that's kind of a normal response. So you feel a bit defended when you look at feedback. Uh. But you might ask questions around, you know, how often do you find yourself 
saying yes or agreeing to things without even considering, is this something that I want to do? Mm. You know, that's a really common, that's a behavioral pattern, but it's also a thinking pattern if you if you think about it like that, my willingness to say yes before putting a pause mm. and considering, well, is this something that is in line with what I want to do? Is it something I should be spending my time on? Is this a, an effective use of my time? So that's one question I will often ask an individual when, when they have approval in their profile. Yeah, I like that. It's, you know, and we, I think we all do that from time to time, right? <laughs> you know, as it, I'm nodding, nodding fiercely to your yeah, question right yeah, now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it's not, and the interesting thing is, I think that's something we can all kind of learn from, even if it's not something we do often or always, as the, the survey would ask. Totally. Definitely from time to time, we all, I think, uh, fall into that one. And you might, as a build on that, also ask, you know, how often do you find yourself disagreeing? You know, so putting a different point of view forward that might be contrary to what someone around you is suggesting. Because the willingness to agree and say yes is the, the counter of that is how often do you, do you challenge? Do you uh. sort of say, oh, I've got a different view? Because if you think about if it's high approval, there's probably an unwillingness to do something that threatens someone not having you in their good favours. So uh. might be unlikely to disagree or put different ideas into the mix. And, it, and that comes up when it's like, you know, someone who maybe has your career in their hands or something like that, you know, like a boss kind of figure. Yeah. And it's like, oh, man, if I get offside with this person, it could be an issue for me. Yes. You know, so you're more likely to kind of trade it off. And I guess that's something that bosses, managers need to be aware of too, that people are probably more likely to trade off their thoughts to keep you happy. Yeah. And you often hear leaders say things like, it's a pretty lonely job because no one really tells you the full extent of what they're thinking. Mm, That's right. Yeah. Cool. Any others for approval? Any other questions you'd get people? Well, I was giving some thought to a client that I was working with a little while ago who said that her and her partner could never make a decision on where to eat dinner because they were too worried about what the other one was <laughs> To the point where they would walk up and down the street <laughs> and, and by nine o'clock the kitchens would be closed and they still wouldn't, oh, um, wow. wouldn't have made a decision. So I was thinking in that instance, what might I ask an individual? And it, it could be something along the lines of, you know, have you given any thought to what's really important to you or what you'd really like to do? Because mm. if, if approval is high, it sort of it might indicate that an individual is giving a lot of thought to what others want from them, but not a lot of thought to what what, what would you like. Mm. And so that might be an area of exploration. What about sometimes it's just like, I just want a meal without a sigh or something, you know? Like, because that's why people do it, right? It's because... They're worried oh, about upsetting let's, others. Let's, well, it's like, let's go for Thai or something. It's like, Oh yeah, I guess. Like, you know, and that's why that's what drives that kind of behavior, right? You just want to avoid that awkward size, what you say? Yeah, well, like, you know, it's like, oh, let's go for this. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, what do you want then? Like, <laughs> come on. Work with me. Yeah, well, so in that instance we're moving into behavior now, you might go, well, this is what I would like to do. What you want to focus on the goal? What's the uh put it back on them. What do you want? I've heard another way of doing it is saying like Taking you out for dinner, like, it's a surprise, like, guess which restaurant. Oh, nice. Wherever they guess, you just go there. (laughs) (laughs) It's obviously where they want to go. (laughs) That's called diversionary technique. That's probably a bit avoidant rather than uh, (laughs) strategic, kind of. Well, it's practical. (laughs) So in those questions around the the approval style, what are you kind of trying to do? What's, What's the logic, I guess, behind those questions? So like all of the questions, 
what I'm trying to do is to raise awareness for the individual around how it shows up in their pattern of thinking. So generically, Mm. that's what we're trying to do. And there just appears to be some patterns that arise in that style that's more about, if you think about where it sits in the circumplex, it's completely directed towards people Mm. and it's defensive. So it's the other, we're focusing other. So I'm, I'm really directing the individual inward to think about what do I want, what's important to me. Mm. I have a view mm. and the world benefits from my contribution, mm-hmm. my individual contribution. Yeah, nice. Mm. I like it. What about the conventional style then? So this is next door to the approval style and this is around rules, following rules. Yeah. You know, I, I like to do things a certain way and have rules to back that up. So what kind of questions? If someone's got high in that style, so they feel very constrained that they have to, or that they should follow rules. Yes. What are the kinds of questions? Conventional is a really interesting one. It's been one that I've unpacked over over a couple of years. And as a practitioner, you do get a bit of challenge on. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of ways it shows up. I think conventional at its core is about using the established ways of doing things to provide you with, I guess, a a path of action or a course of action gives you some comfort, you know, established rules and procedures give you comfort. Well, it keeps you safe, doesn't it? Because yeah. it's like if something doesn't work, it's like, well, that's what the process said. You know, I was just following yeah. the standard operating procedure sort of stuff. And right? what, so what's so apparent in what you just said then is is using the rules as a way to hide mm. ultimately. There's a difference between we all want rules, but when we hide behind them, what is the cost? And so one of the things that I might, if an individual is looking at the conventional style, particularly if they're starting to argue for it, I might ask questions like, well, how do you feel in new and unfamiliar scenarios? Mm. You know, so w- what's your response? So for them to emotionally connect with, what does it feel like? Uh. Because you'll often find they'll say things like, it's a cause of stress and anxiety uh-huh. when I, I, there's not already an established pr- way of doing things. Yeah. And people get that all the time, right? With with that style, so it's like suddenly something changes or we need, we're we going to do something a new way, right? Change. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I don't like that, feel really uncomfortable Yeah. with that. And I think we've all worked with people like that and seen it in ourselves. Yeah. But it's the extent to which it is. Because I think we all get that a bit, right? Like, say you turn up for a workshop in the morning and the computer's not working or the projector's not working or something and you've got that uh, kind of feeling. Well, that's a really valid point because there are if you go back to the S plus T equals R model, there are things in your world that are going to change without your control. Tell me a bit more about what is S plus oh, T equals yeah. R. <laughs> Just spun that off like everyone knows what I'm talking about. The stimulus plus thinking equals response is a model that we use frequently with the LSI tool. I use it almost in every debrief. And why it's important to this discussion is that established rules and procedures are fantastic and very helpful but there will be situations you'll find yourself in which are out of your control, like the arriving and the projector doesn't work. Mm. Or well, we're just going to change the businesses nowadays, change processes yeah. and change ways of operating. Yeah, new all the regulation. Time, right? There's a whole bunch of things in the environment that happen outside of your control. So mm. your why this style becomes a roadblock for individuals or a stumbling block is that they are uncomfortable with what's not established or known, which creates a cause of tension in them. And, and, and that's a blockage to moving forward. Uh. So you want to understand how that shows up and potentially causes individuals trouble. So what kind of questions would you be asking them then? Other questions I might ask, you know, what's your approach when there's no rules or processes? You know, uh. first of all, is it connecting with how you respond in those environments? 
what happens when, when plans change last minute. Uh. The other thing that I might explore is sort of another side of conventional that people don't think about is part of it is a characterization of wanting to fit in. So the, the status quo piece, so doing what's expected, right. is a conventional attribute. So you might also ask an individual, you know, where or when do you feel you can 100% you know, be yourself? Because there's an element of conventional that is almost like an ability to camouflage and fit in. So it's the go along to get along yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, where, where do you feel you can bring your unique self forward? Again, similar to the approval, but slightly, slightly different. So they're questions to explore the felt state, if you like, of, of conventional. Yeah, I like it. The style that's next to that then is dependent. And I guess with all of these styles, they sit next to each other for a reason. It's because they are related. So there's yeah. probably a few crossovers between them. So dependence about basically I, I want other people to kind of tell me what to do at a simple level. And so it's kind of a, you know, I'm not sure sort of yeah. thing. I'm not sure what to do. It's safer if I just kind of follow instructions. So if someone's high on that style, what would you be looking at? Well, what's occurring to me as you're saying this is be wary if you're a solution-oriented or a very task-oriented coach, debriefer, or the consultant hat where you want to to provide the solution with this style because Uh part of that style will present itself in, when it's high, a sense of learned helplessness. So you might get find yourself getting questions of, well, how do I, how do I change this? So my sort of caveat there is to be mindful when that happens because that's typical of dependent. So what's guess, the what's, what's the danger of that? Oh, I guess the danger is that you fill that void and tell them what they can do differently. Uh-huh. Um, so that's where again holding the space of getting the individual to connect and make an awareness of how that dependent shows up for them. So I think I said earlier that ca- one of the styles that's really strong in in self doubt or lacking confidence is dependent, it's characterized by not really knowing where your effort makes a difference. And so uh-huh. you will def- you'll find individuals will be unsure and defer to others. So asking in those moments, asking a direct question is often really difficult. So I find if individuals are high on dependent or very high on passive defensive clusters, you're probably not going to go for the, well, what's the goal? What's your objective? Because it might be too much of a leap. It's too much. Yeah, um, okay. But you might start to explore and ask questions if they're just trying to connect with how dependent shows up for them, what are the conditions upon which you feel confident to make decisions? So you might explore it that way. You might ask the individual, how do you feel to operate independently at the moment? Do you feel like you can step forward and make decisions um, without requiring support from others? What does that look like? And explore freedom or choice insofar as what are your, it's kind of linked to that, how do you operate independently? But you know, if you, if you had no barriers, what would you choose to do in this situation? Or uh, so what you sorry, go. Well, I was just gonna ask with the with the barriers, because one that comes up and I guess is a question I'm grappling with is what if the barrier is like your manager? Right? As far as you have a manager who wants to, you know, maybe micromanage or wants to tell you what to do, how do you deal with that? Because it's it's tough, right? It's like I want to make decisions, perhaps, but I'm in a system or in a team where that's not encouraged. Mm. So do you ever see a split between like personal life and work life? Or mm. I'm thinking this one through. Yes, I do. I've seen patterns. I suppose the one that's coming to mind is where I've seen individuals with high achievement, high dependent, and mm. that was in their LSI 1. Mm. They were employed into a system that had aspirations to build constructive, but they were still operating 
a lot of the systems and, and perhaps some of the existing leadership practices were operating in more of a controlled way. And so they were finding themselves really clear on direction, clear where they can make a difference. But at that time, they were feeling like they were operating with their one arm tied behind their back. Mm-hmm. And so part of the questions and the explorations that you might explore in a debrief is to get people to articulate just that, which is, is this, is this a, a reoccurring pattern of thought or is this something that you're dipping into in a situation at the mm-hmm. moment? And that's why you might ask the question around what are the what are the conditions that enable you to act freely, to explore? Are they in your environment right now, or are they in your mind? Mm. And you know what Good question? Yeah. And I guess it brings up another interesting point. And in what you're saying is, you can't just look at the one style in isolation, right? So you talked about they had both high achievement and high dependence. Yeah. Which are kind of opposite styles, or well, not kind of they are opposite styles. So that shows an interesting conflict. So that's maybe where you'd explore if you saw that kind of thing come up. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's whenever you look at styles in, in their, their discrete format, it's not that there's a risk involved, but you're not looking at the whole picture, which is, in, is accurate. But yeah, when you see an opposite, that does demonstrate conflicting thinking and it can be, can be situational or it can be habitual and it's definitely worth exploring. Is there a question as well around like, what do you think is going to happen or something? Like, I think it's pe- the worst that could happen. Well, I think people tell themselves a story about like, you know, something that could happen or some disastrous thing that's happened in the past or something. And it's like, is that yeah. real or is that a story we're just telling ourselves? Yeah, definitely. The next, the next level down is to challenge the assumptions and beliefs the individual holds about why or why they can or why they can't do mm. certain things. And so if an individual comes back to you with, well, you know, I can't make decisions because people who make decisions without checking in are punished. You might then go, okay, let's explore that. When has that happened before? Have you? Uh-huh. What's the evidence? Not to be me coming across as oppositional or not believing them, but to get them to surface whether this is an old myth or a very real reality. Uh-huh. And then, then you can move into a conversation around what's in your control and what's not in your control. That's right, because it, it could be real. I mean, maybe it, maybe it is true, but could maybe be, it's yeah. not as well. Maybe yeah. it's just an old kind of story that we're stuck on. Yeah. And we often do that. I do that. And I think we all do that. Is something happened once and you'll remember it forever and forget the uh, hundred other examples to the contrary. Yeah. And particularly if it's punishment, we, we remember punishment sort of locks into our brain so deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's why we often talk about for managers, you know, with the styles is that you kind of deposit into your leadership account with positive things and so on. And Cents and you withdraw in dollars when you do, yeah. <laughs> when you smack someone over the head or whatever, because yes. people remember that it's a bigger impact on them. Yeah. Cool. What about then if we have the final one in the passive, avoidance. the passive styles is avoidance. Yeah. Yes. So this I feel like is going to be a particularly tricky one because the nature of the style in itself is to avoid. So yeah. duck, lie low, stay under the radar kind of stuff. Yeah. And so the very nature of that means it's kind of hard to to talk about and to bring to the surface. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah, so where would you go with that? What I've learned over time is when it's high and when it's at the midpoint and how they can show up differently. So if we talk at the midpoint just for a second, yeah, the midpoint just over the 50th tends to manifest in a bit of self-doubt or lack of confidence, sit close to dependent, is similar in that sense. Mm-hmm. And so you might find yourself phrasing, you know, is there anything that's causing you to feel a lack of confidence or a lack of your own belief right now? Is there anything that you feel is holding you back from 
and stepping into and being your best, the best version of yourself? They might be some of the questions you ask at that 50th. When it goes beyond, you know, you're looking kind of into the 75th and out high, mm. I again lean away from the very direct question because what you don't want is to push people further into avoidance. Right. And so I do have a degree of caution around managing high avoidance. So it could, it's more about sort of starting general, building that trust up front. What's, what's going on for you right now? Uh-huh. What's happening in your world? Mm. Because typically I notice that there would be alongside high avoidance, you would see potentially lack of trust. You may see there might be individuals going through a very challenging or traumatic time. And so if you're starting to unpick that, you want to build up to to them feeling comfortable sharing. So start general is my immediate go-to. And then trying to shift the individual to think about what would good look like for you? Uh-huh. Because they may not be able to articulate what it is that they feel they're in avoidance on at that point in time, which is because sometimes if you think about it, we're in avoidance out of a survival. We have the styles for a reason. Uh-huh. So we dip into them for a survival need, which is kind of like if you think about denial, it's there for a reason. You know, so we have we deny things for a while so that we can build the resilience to deal with it at a later stage. Yeah, right. So there's probably, you know, there's a reason why we dip into it Um and so to respect that reason, but then to think about, okay, well, if this isn't, it's often paired with a lack of satisfaction. So what would good look like for you 12 months from now if, if we don't want to stay in this space too long to get them to think about the possibility of other things? Mm. The tricky thing with avoidance as well is it can feel like you're in a bit of a minefield or something, right? So one misstep, you know, it could be disaster. So it's better not to step at all. Right, and and so it's better to stay where you are if you're in a minefield because you don't know where the mines are. Yeah, and I guess that makes it really tricky to move forward, though, right? To do something different and to change because you feel well, it's safer not to. Yeah. So how do you build up some of that kind of safety around it as well? Well, again, it's um looking at it in its isolated fashion is challenging. I can give you an example of where I worked with someone who had you know really interesting LSI one profile in that it was really high perfectionistic, really high avoidance. You know, my colleagues call it performance anxiety. Uh-huh. That's kind of a cool term actually in that the delay was coming from the need for everything. A preoccupation with worry about things being perfect meant uh. that no movement could come forward. So that's where you see there is a connection between the two. And so I guess in that instance we were unpacking, you know, what to your question earlier, what's the worst that could happen if we – put forward an 80% idea. What, if, they, fully what, what if you ask a question like that? You know, what's the worst that can happen? And they come out with like the doomsday scenario, <laughs> yeah. like it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket, Liana. <laughs> that question what doesn't work that? for everyone. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> well, how do you recover from that? <laughs> That's a really good question. How do you recover from that? Well, you know, I actually tend to think that it's kind of like exposure therapy. Well, let's just explore it. Okay, so let's keep going with that. So the worst that could happen is we make a disastrous decision and the board is really unhappy with you. Okay, then what? Mm. Kind of feel like we stop there. Mm. Then what? Okay, so what's then it's about redirecting people to what's within their control. Mm. Well, then you could present an idea or a solution to fix the problem. It doesn't end at that point. Right. I think you just need to keep on taking it the next step. Yeah, I like that idea of exposure therapy. So even if it's just a thought exercise, right? Of, yeah. Well, what then? What then? Yeah, okay. So they might fire you. Okay, what then? Well, well I'll go and get another job. You know, like. I guess so, but that's pretty extreme. <laughs> but, but this is about, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to think that, you know, that 
cause and effect thinking and self-efficacy is kind of what we're moving towards here yeah, right. and demonstrating that, you know, when the worst happens, we're pretty resilient. We can then take a step and address it. Wow. So cause and effect thinking, okay, so if this happens, what caused it? What could we do differently? Wow. You can apply it in almost every aspect of life. Yeah, that's right. And, and the irony is, of course, that actually you're probably less likely to be in a bad situation if you're coming forward and doing things proactively and constructively, right? Yeah, what if we keep doing this? That's right. If we keep delaying, what's the risk? Yeah, and I guess you you got to be careful because, you know, it's this whole burning platform versus burning ambition. So is it, I guess you don't want to drive the fear into them to avoid yeah. avoid avoidance, <laughs> ironically, but rather to to build towards what would it look like, you know, to be operating in this space up yeah. in the constructive styles. Yep. What would that look like? How would what it would feel? that feel like? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. How would it feel if you moved yourself out of this, um, you know, holding pattern? You know, to go back to your question around questions, what would it feel like if you were able to, to move, you know, take a step forward rather than feel you have to be locked for a long period of time before feeling confident? Another question you might ask to someone, and this is a this is a kind of feel the moment before you ask it is, what? <laughs> <laughs> I like that setup. <laughs> you know, pick your window. What is it that you're avoiding right now? Yeah, because you know it seems pretty obvious, but it uh. can sometimes unlock for people. You know, they'll say things like, "I don't want to make a mistake," or uh. you know, it's a simple question. Uh. What are you really avoiding right now? I mean, it's the fundamental question, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. So- if the moment's right and you feel the relationship and so on is there with the person, then just ask the, the I mean, it's the elephant in the room, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. With that style. And I, like I find sometimes people are actually dying to talk to someone about it because we never get that chance, right? And that's why I think, you know, what we do is so powerful is that it gives people a chance to suddenly have some of these conversations that yep. they otherwise can't. Yeah. And you, you might find, you know, occasionally you do get clients if there is a very, very strong passive defensive that it will take a lot longer to unpick Mm. so and i guess that's a thing as well that that i know you you talk about is don't feel like you have to solve everyone's problem every time yeah right sometimes people take longer sometimes people aren't ready to go there all you can do is try and facilitate it and offer them you know the support to go there but ultimately they have to make the leap themselves yeah and that is actually why i think that a powerful question it's kind of has longer standing with an individual than a statement mm. because even if they can't answer it, that's not a bad thing. That question remains lingering. Mm. So, yeah. That's true because you go away and if you have a good question stuck in the back of your head, mm. you mull on it, right? You think about it and yeah, it comes up and it prompts you more actually to do some exploring than, than just being told like, you know, this says that you're yeah. that kind of stuff. People tend to reject that if it comes from the outside, but when it's a question that they have to answer themselves, it tends to resonate with people more. Yeah. More powerful. And if they can't answer the question, great. Like that's something for you to think about for the next weeks, months. Yeah, that that's interesting is a good question might not be answered hmm. then and there in the room, but maybe go think about it and in the next catch up in a month's time or whatever. Yeah, that's your homework. see if we can answer it. Yeah, so that's your homework. To it. That's it. Well, thanks for that, Liana. That was awesome going through the passive styles. What I might do is bring you back for another episode and let's go through the aggressive defensive styles as well in a similar way. How does that sound? We can do that. Fantastic. Well, I'll see you on the next one then. Thanks, Tom. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. 
If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. Thanks for being part of our amazing community. We can only do it together with yourself. So long for now.